Hello and welcome to Something to Declare. It's great to have you back with us. Hello, David. Hello, Beth, and hello, everybody. Yes, it's good to be back, isn't it? Um, I've been thinking about what we uh, spoke about last week and been really challenged and stimulated by uh, what Rachel was saying and by the conversation we had afterwards. And then I only went and found a quote uh, or that saw a quote on uh, the old socials. And this was from uh, Richard Coles, who obviously writes various things. Um, and his, his book on grief was very good, by the way. Um, <laughs> As a way of describing who he is, he obviously writes on various things. <laughs> Ah, yeah. He's an Anglican priest as he, well. He is. He's, I well, guess I was Twitter and has has true. written on various things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't wrong. He's, he's on. He's on like everything on the BBC, isn't he? Is he's it like that same something in morning radio four? It's not a time I ever listen to radio four, but I think he's on something then, isn't he? Funny you should mention the BBC because he says exactly this. He says I love the BBC and I love the Church of England. But it's not wise to love organisations because they don't love you back. They do what organisations do. Sometimes they close ranks, lie, betray, disappoint, take you out at dawn and shoot you. All institutions are demonic, a cleric once observed. But the ones that have the clearest sense of their own high calling are most vulnerable to demonic activity. I suppose it's because when aspirations are high and reach is limited, there's plenty of room for disappointment and frustration to play out. And that can curdle one's feelings for a place. And I thought that was interesting in the light of what we were talking about last week about the role and place of institution and the importance of how we treat and love and respect people in, in the middle of, of all of that. I don't think I necessarily go as far as saying all organizations are inherently a host for demonic activity, but, I thought it was quite challenging. How is it possible indeed um, for it to not be? And also, I think there's something in that about not loving institutions. And I think it's very hard, including our own union. You, If you put all that effort in, it's quite likely you're still going to find yourself bitten at some point. Um, it's not in the nature of the institution to love you back inherently. You will be loved as long as you are useful. I don't think that's because anyone's deliberately doing that. I think that's because that's how organizations work on one level. And that's why sustaining relationships within that is so important, which I guess is partly what our podcast is all about. So yeah. I just that was very interesting to read that, having yeah. had that conversation last time. I always think it's interesting because people use the phrase Baptist family a lot, don't they? They do. I always think it's a telling comment about what they assume a family should be as well. Because, I mean, I know why we use that scripturally, but I think, um, you know, it's also an institution that may not, you know, I think certainly my experience of pastoral care is doesn't always love people back very successfully. Um, you know, that actually, because they're, yeah, they're the places where all our weird comes out. So I think inevitably, um, you know, all institutions, including families, are kind of, you know, going to be flawed, aren't they? Um, I think perhaps demonic is not the, not always the one I would want to go with, but I think certainly broken. Um, mm. And this side of, this side of heaven, you know, still kind of on off, maybe already, but not yet. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, today we are, uh, well, we're going slightly 
outside of our usual remit of having a Baptist guest, but we're kind of not at the same time. Um, and that's because on the podcast today, we have our very own delightful and always excellent um, Judy uh, Smith-Blow, who will be uh, perhaps better known to many of our listeners as Judy Poles. And Judy was the librarian at Spurgeon's College for many, many years. And through that work, played a, a role in the formation of many a Baptist minister who passed through Spurgeon's College across that time. So I was delighted when Judy agreed to come uh, on the podcast, uh, not least because Judy was my pastoral tutor when mm. I was at college. And we, we were the first ever tutor group that Judy uh, was responsible for. And she'd been at the college a long time before we got there, but uh, a variety of other things occurred. And uh, we, we were asked who we wanted to lead our group and we all wanted Judy. So uh, we, we uh, made our feelings known and Judy Julie became our, our tutor, which was an absolute joy. So uh, it was great that she was able to come on the podcast and we're going to listen in to Judy's chat uh, now. So, Judy, welcome to the Something to Declare podcast. Lovely to have you with us. And thank you for asking me. It's, uh, it's a great joy to, to be with you. Right. And I've kind of bent our little in-house podcast rules, as I'm allowed to do, I guess, as one of the hosts, in that generally we've been sharing Baptist stories. And I know your home tradition is not a, a Baptist one, but you have played a very significant role in the formation of many a Baptist minister and I think have been uh, a good friend to the movement over many decades. So that qualifies you to be with us. Well, that makes me laugh really because I'm not quite sure where I do fall, fall in this um, great scheme. But having come from a Methodist background, worked for Baptists for years and years and years, and then found myself in an Anglican church, um, it's quite an interesting group of people I've been with throughout my, my life. Yes, if folks listening to our podcast already know you, most of them will have met you through your time at Spurgeon's College, I suspect. Um, so how did you come to be working at Spurgeon's? Well, that's a good question. I had just nine months before had my second child. So that was 1984. My Jonathan was born and I wasn't looking for a job at all. But in my professional magazine, I just saw this little tiny advertisement for a part-time job at a college I'd never heard of, Spurgeon's <laughs> College. But it was three miles away and it was just 15 hours a week, which sounded ideal. And more importantly, it said professional librarian and a knowledge of theology would be useful. I thought, well, that's me. 
that's me. I'm a professional librarian and in a previous existence, I've been in charge of the theology books and collections at Exeter University. So I thought, this job's made for me. And as it happened, I had a really, really good friend who was just dying to look after Jonathan for me. So <laughs> when I showed her the, the ad, she said, you must go for it. So I applied and the rest is history. So 15 hours a week is where I started at Spurgeon's College, South Norwood Hill. It certainly grew from there, though, didn't it? It certainly didn't end at 15 hours a week. Well, no, as the children got uh, older, needing me less, the my hours got more and more until I was full time. Mm -hmm. So, yes, 15 hours went up to whatever it was, 30, what would it be, 35, I suppose, a week, plus, plus, plus. Because as everybody knows, when you work for Spurgeons or at Spurgeons, it's never just the hours that you're paid for. You just, well, yes work and um, goes on at funny times you know evenings weekends because I felt there's always something to be thought about mm. and over the time that you were in that role at the college I mean the library itself changed an, an awful lot I mean even in the time that I was there it changed hugely um and you were there a lot longer than I was so you must have seen it through a huge amount of change Oh, my goodness. When I started, no computers at all. Every student who took a book out, they had to write out a card for each book that they took out. It was all totally card based, no computers, card catalogue, traditional five by three cards that you look through to find out where the books were. Oh, yes. Um, very, very different. Mm. So over the years, of course, things changed dramatically. Computerization, I guess, was the, the biggest one change. So 1990, we had to take every single book off the shelf and more to get them computerized. So all the records barcoded. Oh, it was fun. <laughs> and I, I seem to remember finding having to scan all the books in a real faff. So they didn't mind having to write out a card for each one. That's quite something. Yes, yes. And um, handwriting was quite a challenge, <laughs> trying to read people's handwriting. Nigel Wright had the worst handwriting ever. <laughs> Perhaps that's something about uh, theologians, that they have bad handwriting. We can't rule that out, I don't think. Um, and then obviously before you you finished the the new library oh um, oh yes i'd been asking to try and do something about the library for years and years and years and then it was my dream 2009 the new library what well, the refurbishment of the old library oh it's just amazing mm. and uh, yeah when i look back it was quite hard work working out where all the books were going to go Mm -hmm. and then when they went and then putting them all back again but it all worked <laughs> out beautifully in the end I had lots and lots and lots of help but mm. I think the students loved it um yeah, yeah. so yeah. that was possibly one of the biggest things after the computerization the, the mm. new library yeah I remember um being consistently surprised 
um, by the statistics about the amount of books that went missing and never came back from the college library. One might have naively thought that um, a theological college with largely ministerial students might find that their library books don't disappear, but yet that was not quite the case. Indeed not. Unfortunately, I had been warned when I worked at the University of Exeter about the fact that, I have to put this carefully, the law students and theology students were the worst people for, let's put it like this, forgetting to borrow books correctly. <laughs> and forgetting to return them. So basically lawyers and theologians were the worst. So sadly, I wasn't surprised mm. that this was a fact in Spurgeon's, but all my colleagues in other theological college libraries, they all had the same. And we did say, well, it's probably that perhaps theologians are more forgetful than others <laughs> or some people think that as they're doing the lord's work their need of books on their shelves in their studies in their churches or whatever is greater than everybody else so one one tried to be nice about it and not have bad thoughts about mm. people who stole <laughs> sorry forgot to borrow properly yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was a sad fact of life, I'm mm. afraid, that books did go missing. And sadly, a lot of them didn't come back. Mm. But I do have to say, one of the greatest rejoicings in the library was if missing books suddenly turned up. And we had a number of occasions over the years where a carrier bag of books would be dumped on the step outside oh, really? college. And there would be books that had been borrowed apparently, sort of 10 years, 20 years before. Oh. Someone returned some books that he found in his loft when he moved. So there was rejoicing in the library when we got them back. <laughs> so, yes, I'm sure there's a parable about that, isn't there? <laughs> there must be, there must be. Um, in terms of your, your role, and I guess I wonder if some of this comes from being there a good length of time as well, um, but it always seemed to me like you had a quite a unique role in college life um, in that your office was often a bit of a pastoral safe haven for for people, including myself, hands up there uh, to the listeners, um, because you knew everything that was going on and you'd seen it all before, you know, with students who'd come and gone, but because you weren't responsible for sort of assessing the essays or the placements, it, you were kind of a, I guess it seemed like a very safe person to go and talk with. It seemed to me, it was always a, a good place if you just needed to go and be for a bit was your office. I mean, I guess that was probably quite difficult when you were trying to get stuff done, but um, did you enjoy that side of it? Was it, did it, was it, something that got in the way of the things you were trying to do or did it sort of grow to become part of how you saw the role? It was, I was always, always glad to, to talk to people. You could never, no, I would never ever think, oh, go away because the person who, who came in would always, well, they'd have something to give me as well in what they were saying. So no, it was a privilege. But I do agree, I always felt that the role of the librarian, because you're not 
you're not doing the teaching as such, or you're not doing the admin as such. So I always felt that I, well, yes, it was a unique, a unique mm. role. And so it was, yeah, it was a real privilege to be able to communicate with people and feel that they were enjoying coming into basically a safe space, I guess, if mm. I can call the library office a safe space. Yeah. A bit of a mess sometimes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think people found it quite a calming Yes. Place. Yeah. Yes, I'm just reflecting on some of the some of the interesting conversations I had over the years. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, less of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and a little while into your time at the college, so you say you started sort of in the mid eighties. Um, a fair while after that, I guess. Um, but you also ended up becoming a, a pastoral tutor. Um, at the college and sort of having your own tutor group and I think I've, I've if I my memory is correct I was part of the the first group um that you had sort of sole pastoral responsibility uh, yeah I think that's for. right yeah um and had how did you find that and sort of walking with the students sort of a bit more um intentionally through the the stuff that the college was trying to help them through well I loved it because I think before then I suppose I felt slightly more on the sidelines, but coming into the pastoral group, the reflection group, whatever you like to call it, I felt I was seeing more into the, well, the spiritual side of the students and actually feeling I was helping to some degree with their, their ministry. Because when you were just talking to students about library books and you know, <laughs> finding stuff, it's not the same as hearing things that are a bit deeper and mm -hmm. more personal. So, yes, it was this uh, feeling of actually helping their ministry develop uh, in, a, in a different way to the, the, the normal librarian's role. So it was, it was an eye-opener to me. And also, I think it helped my own spiritual development. Um, I think if I couldn't put it like this. I think I became a more prayerful person. I don't I'm not sure that that's expressing it properly, but and do you know that what I'm trying to say? That yeah, I think was, so. Yeah, it was just seeing a different, different aspect of my life, mm. as well as each of the students in the group, uh, both in a group setting and individually. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was a real blessing to me personally to be part of the group. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so during your time at the college, um, I, don't, I couldn't even begin to calculate how many people who've trained for ministry have sort of gone through um, uh, the college while you were there, but it's a lot. Um, <laughs> and so there's an awful lot of people in, in active ministry today and indeed in retired ministry or, or, or whatever um, for whom you would have been a, a core part of their spiritual formation and, and planning from ministry. Um, what were some of the qualities that you appreciated in saw and saw in people while they were, were training? Um, and did you notice any trends over time in the sort of people who were coming and, and training? What was it that would sort of make someone stand out for you? 
I realize I've asked three totally different questions in one there. So take it however you like. <laughs> the sense of humor. Right, I think okay. that was so, so important for people who had a great sense of humor in all situations. That was, that was one thing that I really noticed. But what got me right from the very beginning when I first encountered a ministerial student, the fact that they had, the majority of them had given up so much because of a calling on their life. Many people had given up really high-powered, well-paid jobs to go into Baptist ministry. And I found that, well, I'd never come across it before in my previous jobs, mm. the fact that people were, well, it was their vocation. They were at the college with a mission, and the mission was to be trained to to follow their calling so that was well to me it was very humbling seeing so many different people from so many different backgrounds there were some people who'd been I don't know milkmen and some people had been um, solicitors and yet they had one thing in in common now they'd given everything up to follow this calling to be trained in basically how to proclaim the gospel bring people to the lord and that's such a powerful thing mm. now I, i've forgotten how many questions you asked me all no. in one that's wonderful did oh, yes, you did were you... asking about trends weren't you yeah how did it change over time or did it change yeah well i suppose one major change was the number of female candidates coming forward and then coming at, to the college and there, there were always women at the college but there seemed to be more um, and people from many many more of different ethnic backgrounds reflecting basically the the place that Spurgeon's hmm. is in a very um, vibrant London so that the college community I guess became much more um, diverse which was a great thing. And I learned so much about different Baptist styles of worship over the course of my years. So that was that was a great, uh, oh yes, a great blessing for me, chapel every day. You mm. never knew what was gonna happen next. It was just <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. One, one um, day it would be very, I don't know, quiet and reflective. And the next day it would be, loud <laughs> but yeah I just I used to come home and say wow it's just so uplifting mm. to have this as part of my work day whether it would be just a short service or whether it would be the the Tuesday full full length service I just thought this is amazing how many people can be fed as mm. part of their their job it's just wonderful so yes I think I uh I missed Tuesday chapel um far longer than I missed almost anything else after I finished it was a very sustaining as you say always very different but a very sustaining time in fact my my first church as as you know was only a few miles from 
yes. to college. So even in my first few years after my undergraduate course had finished while I was doing my my masters, I'd I'd sort of scan the list of who's sort of preaching at chapel and things. And I'd try and find a few days where each term I'd be able to come in for the the service, which is always such a blessing, because um, it was lovely, particularly if you've been serving and preaching and leading at other times as well, to be able to come in and have a service where you were blessed. But the the acoustics in the chapel were—I mean, I don't know what they are now. I haven't been for a while, but just—I guess it was the wood paneling and all the yes. voices and and people singing with gusto. But it, the acoustics were always so wonderful for the music. It seemed to me. Mm. Yes, I'm just thinking back to some of the more powerful messages that I heard in in chapel over the years. Mm. Oh my goodness, that's taken me back yeah. down memory lane. Yeah. Some wonderful, wonderful times. Um, so, Judy, I've got a couple of questions that I want to ask you in a moment that we ask all our guests on, on the podcast. But before I do that, um, what's post-college life been like um, for you? And uh, what's, what's bringing you joy at the moment? Right. Well, post-college life, before COVID, mm. I was very heavily involved in my church. I seem to be there all the time doing different <laughs> groups and that that was absolutely wonderful. And just to have the time to be with people. Um, I led a Bible study group and that was just so, so rewarding. Uh, and then COVID hit. And then for a number of different reasons, uh, church hasn't, well, it hasn't been the same, shall I say. I'm, this is probably not the place to talk about where I am in relation to church, that church at the moment. Um, but what's bringing me joy at the moment? Well, the grandchildren, of course, four <laughs> of them, they keep me very, very busy and I love them to bits. But also, as you know, I um, got married again last year. And so to, to have Dennis with me, is just amazing. Um, we have so many laughs in our life. So despite all the horrendous things that are going on around us with, well, Ukraine and so much, um, well, the economic situation and everything, to have, to be able to share with a partner and now my husband it is just wonderful. I think if I'd been by myself, in the last couple of years it would have been very I would have been in a different place shall I say so I have been very blessed so I have a lot of joy because of, as I said the grandchildren and because of my husband so so yes that's been very special so thank you for asking the question it's good to be reminded about joy in <laughs> one's life <laughs> never never uh, tire of being reminded of the joy absolutely yeah um so judy a couple of questions for you to finish and take these however you want to take them um, <laughs> um but if you had one thing to declare to the baptist union in this moment what would it be pause i think the thing i would say don't be inward looking be outward looking and always, always, always say in any situation, what would Jesus have done? 
Well, I'm just writing this down. Yeah. Don't be inward looking. Don't be inward looking. In fact, I remember, I don't know if you remember this. I think you preached your first ever sermon whilst I was at college. And I think it was on evangelism. Am I remembering that right? You are indeed. Wow. (laughs) That's obviously a, a strong message for us to take away there. Yeah. And and if Judy, if if Baptists had one thing to declare to the world in this moment, um, what would that be? That is such a hard thing. The world talking talking is much better than violence. So everybody talk stand up for your principles and think peace well amen to that thank you so much um and judy thank you for uh giving up your time to come and have a chat and be part of the podcast we really appreciate it well it's been a pleasure you certainly made me think in this conversation but, <laughs> uh, it's, it's been wonderful going back down memory lane so thank you for well, bringing out all these things which I'd forgotten. (laughs) So that's lovely. Thank you, David. Thanks, Judy. So, Beth, here I guess we're sort of in your wheelhouse, really, aren't we? We're talking theological college uh, <laughs> and Baptist life, albeit a different college and a slightly different time. Uh, yeah. But what did you make of the chat with my friend Judy? Oh, she seems like a really lovely person. <laughs> it's just the first thing I always say this, don't I? Oh, it's the tone of what they say. Um, it's the tone of what she says. I, I, I loved all sorts of all sorts of things in what she was saying, and it's so interesting hearing her. Uh, somebody who's so within been so within the denomination and yet kind of sits at that kind of slightly critical friend distance mm-hmm. as well um so yeah what do I what do I pick up on first um I think um can we talk about stealing library books yes we absolutely can <laughs> it's probably not a very um it's, it's not the big things of what she said but it was so it was so interesting that um it was theology and law and we're both theology and law at um regents and so <laughs> um, <laughs> but what's really interesting is now I work there a is um I've got so many of the library's books which I like to say I do try and take out of properly um but um people have been handing me their books that they have forgotten to give back to me to give back to college because they're so ashamed about the fact that they've got these books nice. they need themselves. to be one step removed handing it back <laughs> wow um which is is um and the kind of comment of i found this in the attic or i found this in my parents attic is definitely one i've i've met before i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mention who it was um but um but the joy yeah i thought i wondered but i was really interested in the psychology of it because i think <laughs> Isn't it fascinating that it's the, these two professions that are about kind of in different ways about justice, I suppose, like and about righteousness um, or at least kind of, yeah, kind of on some level about good. <laughs> I think, you know, theologians who really should be you know, thinking that kind of more, you know, ethically and kind of all this and then lawyers. And I thought maybe there is something about if you have to be so good in everything else um, that maybe actually um, you're your not goodness or your rebellion perhaps it's a better way of putting it your kind of um has to come out in really small ways um and so you 
you steal a library book. I mean, Judy had a beautiful way of saying what people thought it was so important doing the Lord's work that obviously it was fine with them to take a book. And I'm sure that's true too, but but that doesn't explain it for the lawyers much. And I thought maybe um, maybe there's something about if you have to be good all the time and you're in these really accountable, ethical positions, mm-hmm. you kind of, you're sneaking out your library book. It's like a sort of small way of having your moment. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'd I'd wonder if it was partly about, I guess this wouldn't explain the law thing, but in a context where everybody's Christian, I think Christians take more liberties. So if I'm in a context where I know I'm the only Christian in the room, I'm a bit more on it in terms of how I'm behaving, how I'm thinking. I'm very much, if I'm aware that I have a representative role in that, even like when I was at university, I was only Christian housemate for a year. So my housemates who weren't Christians would pull me up on things I'd said or done. Whereas my Christian housemates that I had later would never do that because, Mm. well, we all know what's going on. It's all a bit more forgiveness. We let it go. We know that, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, I just wonder whether there's something about being in an all Christian environment that means we don't try as hard actually. Um, Mm. But either way, books should not be stolen and uh, <laughs> if, if you've accidentally stolen books from your theological college this is your moment to send them back in an anonymous envelope and make somebody like judy's day <laughs> exactly exactly um i thought it was interesting and i don't know how you find this at college as well and uh, when people are training for ministry but i thought it was really interesting how judy sort of had a role alongside uh, perhaps linda campbell who has been on the podcast in a previous series as not someone who's marking the essays of the students. And because of that, they almost become a safer person mm. to, to share more openly and honestly with in a way that you can't with someone who, you know, has got to mark your doctrine of the church essay um, that afternoon or something. Is, is that yeah. a, a dynamic that you recognize? So I think I'm, I think our college is so much bigger and and less kind of it's, it's less of a kind of s- sort of traditional theological college in the sense that oh, okay. we have so many undergraduates and postgraduates who have all faiths and none that I'm not yep. sure it kind of works but but there is certainly something about those those people who take care of you in the institution becoming so important and I think especially when you're being a minister in training is quite a vulnerable point isn't it because yeah. Spiritually and theologically, you're having to go through a lot. <laughs> you have to learn, you have to learn lots of things, but also you're kind of deconstructing quite a lot of things in order to learn them both in practice and theory and um, and those things interrelating the whole time, I suppose. Um, but then I, you're also, you know, you may have moved house with your family. Um, you may have, you know, you've got all sorts of other things going on in the background as whilst training, forming, forming for ministry. I'm gonna I'm gonna get there by the end of the <laughs> end of the series of the podcast. <laughs> and, um, and I just I think that um it's just a really interesting then anybody who cares for you becomes so important because you yeah. are a carer. So you've suddenly been for the first time perhaps being somebody who's constantly expected to um like, like you said actually earlier, like you you constantly you're the Christian in the room, but you're the pastor mm. in the room, you've got to be good, you've got to be kind, you've got to be caring for everybody else. And actually then, actually those people who have cooked you dinner, you know, yeah. actually really, really matter because somebody's looked after you. And and I think, um, I think that's, I mean, obviously they always matter, 
but but I think perhaps there's a renewed appreciation for that care mm. that looks like that and um I know we had Emma Walsh when I was um okay um so when I was forming for ministry and as the librarian she was a Baptist minister and a librarian so that was a really interesting, interesting. yeah um, she's on my list for this because yeah she's back in Oz and um yeah she's a really fascinating a fascinating person and, and she was definitely one of those people who again she was she got our world but she also she she could be a bit more on the edges of it and um and so she was always somebody who made us laugh in the corridors and just she got a great laugh and um uh, anyway she actually she ended up being the person I said when I was on maternity leave for the first time with Theo and I needed somebody to look after my church um she was nearby and I was like what are you doing on Sundays at the moment <laughs> need, some, need some help so Regent seconded her for a couple of days a week to help look after John Bunyan nice. leave. so yes those people become really important don't they mm. and and I think of you know I think of other other librarians we've had and when I was at university in fact the librarians definitely the people who did so much pastoral care because they're there when the essay crisis is happening and the printer's not working and the um you desperately need the book on short loan and there's none there and I think they live it with you a little bit sometimes so yeah they're good people yes absolutely adore the people who make the life glue of college work so if you listen to this know how appreciated you are absolutely right absolutely right no Judy's uh both her offices, indeed, when she moved in the when the new facility was uh, completed, uh, were both very much safe havens, certainly for me, and I know for a number of other students. Mm-hmm. So very grateful for Judy's care um, in that. I thought it was really interesting. So I asked Judy about um, qualities in ministers, and obviously she's seen hundreds of people trained for ministry. Um, and I thought it was really, really lovely as well that she picked out having a sense of humour and the importance of having a sense of humour. And I thought, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's very hard to quantify and you wouldn't put that on the marks of ministry that the ministries department, are, um, or sorry, the ministry specialist team um, are uh, working with. But I actually, recently saw it on a job description, actually, which I was really inclined yeah. by. Yeah. And I thought. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, it was for a, a regional team leader role um and I thought I was really encouraged that humor was in there because I do think it shapes the well, I guess it it's the kind of you know people have a sense of humor in different ways don't they um but I think what we mean by that is um something where joy meets other bits of life and um it really shapes an institution if it's joyful it does that's very true and mm. if you laugh about things that you might otherwise cry about <laughs> going back that to your is... institution earlier yeah. you know, what might what might feel occasionally demonic in an institution if you can laugh about it that sometimes takes the power out in a way that you know you you might need to you might need to lament as well but but mm. you can you can find the humor in it it's a really subversive thing i think isn't it humor Yes, humour is very subversive. I, there's definitely um, an extended conversation to be had there, I think. But uh, mm. yeah, and and people who are just good company makes a difference, doesn't it, in the the, the journey that is ministry. Um, you know, when you're at a minister's conference, if everyone's a bit pious and po-faced or miserable, 
and we all have we all have our moments where we might be all of those things um, yeah, but actually you equally want to find people you can have a good drink within the bar afterwards and actually just enjoy their company and part of that is having a sense of humor mm-hmm. and being able to laugh at yourself as yeah. well yeah. you know um one of the things I love about some of my colleagues here is their capacity to sort of um encourage me just to you know do you realize what you've just said or just done and get me to laugh at myself occasionally and uh just we laugh a lot and that is very sustaining particularly in periods where things are are difficult yeah yeah, yeah. colleagues you can laugh with are a real gift i absolutely agree yeah so sense of humor new mark for ministry let's put it in here first <laughs> yeah that's right when that changes you'll know where it started everybody um, <laughs> I bet um, Jesus was a really good laugh. Do you reckon? I think he probably was. Um, I, because I don't think all the people who Jesus sat and ate with would have sat and ate with him if he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think some of the religious people might have felt polite enough to sit down even if Jesus was a bit miserable. But I don't think the others would have done and, and they clearly got a bit cross that he kept hanging out with people who were like tax collectors and drunkards and all the things that they would like list as kind of. And I, I always think they sound like the past. You know? <laughs> like, That's where I'd rather you know, be. I know tax collectors were like, you know, kind of, um, you know, sidling with the kind of, with the empire and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, I kind of really think, oh, I don't know. They just sound like they might have, might have been up for a bit of a, a bit of a party yeah you never know you never know i um i don't know why this has made me think of this i remember going to baptist assembly once in blackpool um god bless it um and i i didn't stay in the norbreck castle um because it was full i think the lord found a way of, of blessing me there but um, <laughs> <laughs> so i stayed at a b&b a bit further down the road which was called um hotel bacchus and uh, it didn't mean much to me because I don't have an extensive knowledge of uh, mythology or Greek or Roman history. <laughs> but when I, someone in my church asked me where I was staying and I told them, and then this kind this became a bit, this was in my previous church, it became a bit of a thing that I was staying at, you know, the hotel named after the God of drunkenness and debauchery or whatever the official thing was. I said, it's going to be, it's full of Baptist ministers, you know, a sort of Diet Coke will be the thing that passes as the most interesting uh, drink, I'm sure. But um, it was very, very interesting to, you know, be going to the the home of drunkenness and debauchery in, in Blackpool. Um, but I had a lovely time and it was an amazing assembly, I have to say. Um, there, yeah, there is the rumour once is, is that, that kind of comes out quite a lot in the planning of Baptist assemblies. And I, I don't know which assembly this was, but at some point, I think at Blackpool, um whichever you know Norbreck or wherever it was had had read a group of Baptists on conference and thought nothing of stocking up the bar particularly <laughs> and it got drunk dry <laughs> yep absolutely right I I think that um High Lee which obviously mm. is beloved of Baptist communities uh up and down the land um, have on a number of occasions issued special guidance um, certainly for our ministers' conference about uh, the consumption of alcohol after hours and bringing our own and what's appropriate, not appropriate for their licensing things and uh, 
yeah, that was always uh, a good email to get. Um, <laughs> it's this group that bring their own whiskey out. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, I, I don't drink, so I'm usually the whiskey comes out, and I I might reach for an appetizer or something really exciting. Um, but the cheese, somebody brings the cheese, somebody brings the biscuits, somebody. You know, <laughs> this is when the fun starts. Um, and where actually all the good conversations are happening, yep. those are the those are the conversations that that change the world. I think. Oh, um, absolutely right. We love well, and indeed, our own podcast was formed in a post meeting bar conversation where I certainly had a diet coke, and I, um, and <laughs> I think I had a large glass of white wine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, all right, sorry, let's uh, come back we to Judy. We completely lost it on Judy. We here, have, so we Judy. have. Um, but, but I, I think, think Judy it, would like that. And actually, I think, isn't it interesting that um, that they're clearly, yeah, there's something here, isn't there, about kind of what she's said that's kind of awoken a conversation there about what, what, what does good humour look like? And actually, it's something sociable and it's something about eating and drinking together whatever that is um you know actually this is the stuff of the real stuff of ministry that we might um we might not be able to quantify particularly easily on a um on a ministry's form but actually those are the things that show the character personality things that matter for for what ministry looks like and actually so much of it is entwined with that kind of hospitality but not a kind mm. of faced we're doing this to look after you because we're you know kind of holier than thou or just wealthier than thou or whatever but a real kind of can you find the joy in the everydayness of it all yeah kind of thing. yeah these things are important absolutely I loved a couple of other things that Judy said um that I'd like to pick up on um she talked about how when she did meet people in kind of pastoral care situations um how the person would always have something to give her and I thought that was a really lovely yeah. phrase because I think that there's always the gift back isn't there in pastoral care it's it's off and in fact sometimes I think it's more that way than the other way <laughs> what have I done for, for an hour I don't know but I've been given this privilege of being with this person and hearing their lives and and being trusted with this story that they have chosen to give um in which you discover things about yourself as well as the other person and you hear things about who God is and where God might be at work and um yeah and just yeah it's always I think uh pretty awesome experience isn't it to be in those pastoral moments and I think it's interesting to me that they never they never get old in that sense you always it's still a gift each time so yeah I love that I thought mm. it was a good thing to say definitely um, and that how it had changed and then her pastoral care and how it changed her prayerfulness yes oh, I so get that <laughs> It does. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a really honest thing to say as well, because I think um yeah, but it's I think being charged with praying for other people or being charged with pastoral care, even the responsibility of of whatever you're managing, I think you're both aware of your own limits in a new way. Maybe that kind of drives you to pray a lot more about it, but mm-hmm. also, you know, it's 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 about how you can love them, isn't it? You love the other person is part of, you pray for them. And I think pastoral care has fundamentally changed my prayer life. I think, whereas it would have been quite self-absorbed before, 
probably yeah. <laughs> and probably pretty sporadic it's much more dutiful um yeah I think that absolutely is is right and I think it, it's important it, there's something that happens to you in those encounters too um that is is transformative and that's why I'm always very interested in journeys people go on you know, over the years in ministry um and how ministry over time shapes and forms them uh, because I think there is something about how these the encounters we have with everybody else is part of that process so it's not just I've just chosen to try and be a bit more like that or I've read these things but actually who somebody becomes over uh, a number of years in ministry is partly shaped by the context in which they have found themselves um, and the people that they've been responsible for caring for or yeah. reaching out to yeah no I like that I like that a lot um, yeah, absolutely churches form ministers just as much as ministers ever form a church I think they do not more so and uh, that cuts both ways. I guess that's both a wonderful thing and a terrifying thing at the same time, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But when it's good, I think it's one of the really interesting bits of the way that we're interdependent because I think, so I, I was thinking this the other day, I, I'm doing something at, at chapel involving art and I would never have done that if I hadn't been the minister of the place I was in, in Oxford, yeah. um, which had a you know, community arts centre. And I think... It, they formed me in a way of being and thinking about those things that I then, you know, it's 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 not my gift to chapel to bring that conversation. It, it was their gift. They gave it. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting that you kind of take bits with you from other churches that you kind of have learned from there and then you can kind of transplant into other places and and then they form this new thing in you that you might then go and that's part of the way we kind of cross-pollinate our um our communities is is those and that happens with laity just as much as happens with ministers as well of course oh yeah but we i think we expect that with our laity i think yeah Mm. anyway it's an interesting thing it is um is there anything else you particularly want to talk about or should we move towards the blessing? I, I just wanted to say, um, because I loved the fact that she gave us some declarings. And, and yes. we've obviously done that kind of slightly radical thing of somebody who's who's on the ecumenical edge of Baptist life. And um, and and so just offers her declarations from a, a sort of friendship mm. that isn't quite is kind of you know in some way shaped and formed by the community but at the same time slightly on the edge of that and I I just thought that was a really interesting thing to hear um yeah because we you know we've been asking people why why they're a Baptist effectively in this podcast haven't we that's what it's been about so it's asked somebody who's not what the gifts of Baptist life might be just shapes the answer you hear it slightly differently yes and and the call to uh not be inward looking and to be and I guess that means a number of different things depending on the context in which you apply it but um yeah there's obviously a, a deep quarter uh evangelism there but but also to engaging with the world um in, in all its forms and uh, I thought that was a really helpful thing to hear to hear a friend of our movement uh family denomination union to be saying you know particularly at the moment when perhaps a lot of our energies are being given to introspection (laughs) saying actually don't lose sight of 
engaging with the world beyond. Yeah, I found that apt and helpful and uh, something I appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a great interview. Thank you very much for coming on. Yes, Judy, thank you. Uh, what um, a gift you continue to be. Um, and I, I mean, I get, I see Judy uh, once a year and my tutor group from college, my reflection group, we still meet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go, and it's interesting when people move yeah, through settlement or whatever, we then move around. And so we, we all take in turns um, to host each year, usually. Um, there's less of us in local church ministry than there used to be. I think we're down to three. Um, and the others uh, are mostly gone off to do other things. Um, mission consultancy and life coaching and other exciting stuff um one's gone off and become an anglican yeah. i think yeah uh, which you know <laughs> happens happens um but uh yeah it, it's a really oh, interesting... <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed um but interesting to to see that and actually you know when we all left college um however many years ago that was 14 15 years ago plus um you know, you never know quite what shape mm. life's going to take and, and the influences and, and the stories. Uh, so it's fascinating to gather every year and, and see what happens. I'm looking forward to doing that again next year in June and Judy will be there and uh, we'll be able to reflect on having shared a podcast together. So thank you, Judy. Um, mm. Beth, uh, bless gonna, us as we finish. I am going to do that now. Well, friends, thank you very much for tuning in and listening and we pray this for your week. Wherever you walk, may the earth uphold you. Wherever you enter, may you find welcome. Wherever you nest, may it be a good home. And wherever you go, may the love and grace and mercy of God go with you always. Amen. 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 Well, see you all next week. 